the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Courageous Christianity, a public nonprofit ministry equipping Christian warriors for the spiritual battlefield. The intersection of our faith and the world is a battlefield strewn with debris of a fallen world that challenges even the hardiest souls. And yet, this intersection is the context of our faith. As courageous Christian warriors, we must navigate this difficult terrain in our personal walk and as we seek to bring Christ to those who are lost and struggling. As a colonel in the Marine Corps Reserves with numerous combat deployments, Richard Mendelow has walked dangerous ground in peacetime and in war. Join us as he and his guests shed light on this critical intersection on spiritual combat and on the rules of engagement for courageous Christianity. And here's your host, Richard Mendelow. Friends, welcome and thank you for joining us on Courageous Christianity. Today is such a very special day. This evening begins the seven-day celebration of Passover, which commemorates the Israelite exodus from bondage in Egypt. And Exodus chapter 12, uh, verses 14 through 16, tells God's chosen people to celebrate this time as a festival to the Lord. As such, this evening begins a week of tremendous significance for Jews and in respect and reverence for Christians as well. And so my prayer with today's show is that as the sun is setting this evening to begin the first night of Passover and as Jews sit down to their Passover meal called a Seder, they will know that their Christian neighbors are praying for them with the utmost regard. As you've heard me say so many times on the show, I believe that the United States has been richly blessed in order to walk in faith with Israel. And that walk is richer, more productive, and most glorifying to God when we honor His chosen people. How can we not have the highest respect for the family into which we are adopted by our faith? And I believe that the more we know about Judaism, the more we can walk out our faith in courageous unity. And make no mistake, courageous Christianity demands this unity. Christians must stand with their Jewish neighbors, or we will all fall. And today we have a very special guest on the show to help us with this conversation. Rabbi Matthew Marco joins us from Congregation Beth Israel in Greenville, South Carolina. Rabbi, welcome. Thank you so much, Richard. It's great to be here. Friends, as always, I'm joined by and so grateful for Christy Stratton, my inquisitive wingman. Inquisitive. Will I be up for many questions today? (laughs) Uh, Genuine curiosity and respect is so important at the intersection of our faith, and Christy exemplifies that. And before we begin, I must remind you that as a colonel still serving in the Marine Corps Reserves, I have to preface my comments by saying that these are my personal views 
and they do not necessarily represent the Department of Defense or the Department of the Navy. Rabbi, would you please pray for us? Absolutely. The Song of Ascents of David says how good and pleasant it is that brothers and sisters shall dwell together. We ask Rabbanu Shalom, creator of all things, our merciful parent in heaven, we ask you to send blessings upon us today as we come together to heed your word, to heal your world, and to draw ever closer to your love and kindness. Help us to understand that we are all brothers and sisters and all created in your image. Teach us to celebrate what unites us and to respect what makes us distinct and guide us to realizing the vision of your prophet. Let justice well up like a water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. Amen. 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 Friends, I met Rabbi Marco in Greenville, South Carolina, the week my father died. And he was not well, and he was in the intensive care unit. And despite not belonging to Rabbi Marco's congregation, the rabbi showed up. He came to the hospital. He spent hours with my father, getting to know him and getting to know the family and ministering to all of us. And after my father passed a few days later, the rabbi was instrumental in helping us to lay him to rest Uh, Rabbi, I am so grateful, uh, deeply touched by the faith that just said, I will show up and uh, bring grace and love. And that walk is so important for all of us. Thank you for that. And thank you for being on the show with us this morning. Thank you. Well, that, 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 that's the job of all of us, isn't it? To show up and, uh, and help, help each other. That's God's pretty, pretty clear about that. Yeah, amen. So I was honored to uh, for your family to let me in at that really, really difficult time in your lives. Thank you so much. Uh, friends, I want to make clear that we have taped this show in advance uh, because as it airs on Saturday, that's Shabbat, uh, the Jewish Sabbath, and also this evening uh, would be Passover and the rabbi would not be able to join us. And so we've taped it ahead of time. And so, Rabbi, if you put yourself in that uh, week from now when you will be preparing and preparing your congregation for Passover, uh, what does that feel like to you? Um, I, I would I would sort of maybe equate it to uh, landing a, a, a fighter jet on a carrier, to put it in, in your in your world's terms. Uh, I would say... 90% panic, uh, maybe a 10% touchdown. Uh, no, there, there's a, there are a lot of moving parts leading up to uh, to uh, festivals important as Pesach. Um, in terms of number one, I have to obviously take care of my own spirituality, um, but I also have a lot of people that are that, that are relying me on on me as well. Um, and this is where even Jews who are moderately observant start to get um, a little neurotic because we uh, <laughs> because we have to rid our house of humats humats is, is leaven and leaven can have such a spiritual um, connection as well this puffiness this haughtiness we have to clear out this gunk um, to make ourselves ready to to meet God and meet freedom and meet salvation so there's a lot of uh, technical things going on cleaning the house and making sure the food is prepared this year actually adds 
um, uh, uh, some some extra complications that are quite rare. It's very rare for Passover first night to happen uh, as the Sabbath goes out. So that means there's a lot of considerations we have to do, which normally the night before and then the morning of, we would ritually burn the rest of our chametz and make sure that our houses are, and make a declaration that we have no more of this around. So now we have to do it on Thursday and Friday morning. We also don't cook on Sabbath. So how do you prepare your Passover meal if it happens as Sabbath goes out. So all that has to be pre-prepared. So that'll be a pretty busy week, cooking for Sabbath, cooking, you know, making the house kosher, and cooking for the uh, for Yantif, for, uh, for the Holy Days. That's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. And friends, I have to be honest with you. Um, though I was raised uh, as a Jew, and though I'm bar mitzvahed, and though as the rabbi uh, talked about uh, even moderately observant Jews still observe the high holidays. That's how my family was, and we observed the high holidays. And truth be told, I don't think I really got the importance of religious tradition. Um, It wasn't until 1996, and it's November 10th, and uh, it's the Marine Corps birthday. As you know, every year the Marine Corps celebrates its birthday, and uh, when the Marines' hymn is played, all Marines stand at attention and sing the Marines' hymn. And strangely enough, even though I was not in an observant place in my life, um, I was not walking in faith. As I stood singing the Marine Corps hymn, I suddenly had this epiphany. And it was how important tradition is. Um, the Marine Corps, uh, at the time, I don't know, 230 years of tradition or so, binds us all together, the shared sacrifice, the blood that's been shed, the legacy, the honor of it all. And it was at that moment that I understood what it really meant to be a Marine and then made the connection, this is what religious tradition is all about. It's not some empty saying of prayers that are memorized and not felt. It is a heart's communion with the generations before who have stood in the same place and looked up at God and said, Heavenly Father. Uh, so, mm, Rabbi, beautiful. I get it. In it's the also, you know, I, I, I'm sorry to jump in, but I, I also equate it to any discipline, it, it's a muscle memory. You have to work your spiritual muscle for it to be ready when you need it. And if you don't, it's just, it atrophies. So when we, when we go through ritual, when we go through prayer, when we go through our religious traditions, it's a way of, of exercising our, our, our spiritual muscles and our emotional muscles so that the connections are there and, and we're ready. And when, because God's there to meet us, the problem is we need to we need to be ready to meet God. Yeah, that's fantastic. His face is always turned toward us in the most uh, amazing, unconditional love. Uh, before the show, the rabbi, uh, we were talking about the love of a father for a son <clears throat> and a grandfather for a grandchild. And we were saying that even though we think that that love is uniquely powerful to each of us, we can't even fathom the love of God. And in that love, his face is always turned toward us. And we don't seek him uh, just, we can seek him at any time. Let me let me uh, correct myself. We can seek him at any time, and especially when we do so through 
through the the exercising of our spiritual muscle. It's uh, such a gift. And so I spent this past week studying Exodus, uh, which tells the story of Passover and amazing. And Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, let me get my Bible here so I can uh, say it right, uh, talks about the fact that this is uh, the Passover must be commemorated. It's a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So, Rabbi, it's important that Jews all over the world come together at this very special time and that their Christian neighbors stand quietly and and respectfully uh, by to uh, observe this. And we, we appreciate your friendship. We really do. Yeah, isn't that amazing thing, uh, friendship, what it truly means to be a friend when Scripture says, uh, greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for a friend. We're not talking about some acquaintance you see at the mall. We're talking about somebody who will stand with you through all things. And so to be a friend to uh, the Jews and to Israel is our mandate. And I tell you, when, when I was growing up, and, and we, we had a fairly secular upbringing, uh, kind of what, what you said, you know, we, we went on high holidays, um, yet Passover was always really important. And I, I was reading in the Pew Report, too, uh, among you know, Americans who identify as Jewish, and then the percentage who actually you know, go to synagogue or have a religious life is, is fairly low, but the percentage of people who, who identify as Jewish and celebrate a Passover of some form, a Seder of some form, it's like 90%. It's, it's really high. Uh, it's, there's something about that holiday that draws us together, uh, perhaps our collective tradition, or, I mean, I think wow. for me, because the holiday is not only about us being saved, but it's, it's simply about, it's also about that with great um, you know, privilege comes great responsibility. And our freedom is only worthwhile if we use it to, number one, to celebrate God, but number two, to bring freedom to others. And our freedom is, is incomplete until everyone, until the entire world Amen. is free. But you Amen. mentioned about the friends, what brought that up. Um, it was my father always, may he rest in peace, always loved having a Seder. And we always, always had at least uh, one Christian guest at our Seder table. He always wanted to have uh, someone sitting at our Seder just to see how we do it and to, and to welcome them in, in friendship. Um, and, and that was always really nice. We well, always I, have a couple of uh, uh, folks at the table who were, it was their first time at a Seder. Yeah, I'm actually going to ask you about that. When we come back from the break, friends, we're talking to Rabbi Matthew Marco of Beth Israel Congregation in Greenville, South Carolina. Stay with us. Hello, everyone. This is Christy Stratton. As you may know, I'm host Richard Mendelow's wingman. You might wonder what a wingman is. Here on Courageous Christianity, it means I'm here to support the host of the show in our efforts to accomplish our mission. That mission is to equip Christian warriors for the spiritual battlefield. And we need your help to do that. Your tax-deductible support is what keeps us on the air and sustains our ongoing efforts. Courageous Christianity is a public nonprofit ministry. If you'd like to support our mission in this ministry, you can do so by texting any amount to 281-800-4940. That's 281-800-4940. And for a donation of $25 or more, we will send you a signed copy of Richard's book, Right Makes Might, 40 Days to Courageous Christianity. You will absolutely love this devotional 
and it will help you to become more equipped in your walk as a courageous Christian. If texting isn't a fit for you, you can also donate by going to CourageousChristianity.today. So text to donate to 281-800-4940 or go to CourageousChristianity.today. Friends, thank you. We are so very grateful for your listenership and for your support. Friends, welcome back. You're with Richard Mendelo, and this is Courageous Christianity. Sitting with me, is, and I'm Richard Mendelo. And you're Richard Mendelo. <laughs> right. <wasn't> on. <laughs> and my trusty wingman, Christy Stratton, is here, and we're talking to Rabbi Matthew Marco from Congregation Beth Israel in Greenville, South Carolina, about the Passover. And uh, the Passover first night is March 27th, and sometimes when you speak to people, you speak publicly you're told as a speaker that people will take one thing away from everything you say. So if you tell a whole bunch of stories, people are generally going to take one thing away. And if you take one thing away from today's show, please, God, may it be this, that as Jewish neighbors sit down to their Passover meal to observe that very important tradition, which uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 14 tells us that they will celebrate as Christian warriors, as courageous Christians, we must stand in observance of that. And if you take that away from this show, and if as the sun sets this evening, you're thinking about that and praying for your Jewish neighbors, God bless you. Then I think we're off to a good start. And as we finished up the last segment, Rabbi Marco was talking about how growing up, even though uh, they were a little more secular uh, in his family. They still observed the Passover, and they enjoyed inviting a non-Jew to their Passover Seder. Rabbi, tell us a bit more about that. Uh, yeah, it was it was always a tradition. My father liked to have uh, a non-Jew sitting at the, at the Passover table, uh, and part of Passover is you know we we may, a lot of people might know of the famous four questions, right? There's these four questions that the youngest child is supposed to ask. And I, 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 know, I don't think those questions were ever meant to be an exhaustive list of questions. It's a day that we're supposed to question uh, and ask questions and really probe the deeper meanings of, of what it means to be free and what responsibilities come with being free. So those questions are, are just to kick things off, right, just to get things started. But um, questions are welcome at all times. And when you have someone who's new to a Seder, um, you generally get a lot of great questions that we would sort of skip over and, and take for granted because, oh, yeah, well, we just do this, and we don't always stop to think about why we're doing it. And when you have someone new who says, why are you doing this, then it makes us stop and think, well, gee, why are we doing this, and what does it mean, and how is it meant to improve my life or improve, if nothing else, the Seder experience? That's That's fantastic. So while we're about questions, let me ask you a question that I don't, I understand, but I don't really understand. And that right. is, why was God so mad at Moses? Are you referring to <clears throat> when Moses gets fired for hitting the rock? Is that what you're, is that what you're talking about? It may move on. Yeah, just, uh, it's upsetting to me that here he uh, leads the Jews from bondage in Egypt. And then when it's time to cross over into the promised land, God says, not so fast, Moses. Turn yep. it over to Joshua. You're done. Yeah, um, 
well, first of all, um, if you don't like it, write a letter. Is what I, is what I think. You know, <laughs> um, um, you, you know it, that, that that is a question that is that is, that we've struggled with for a very very long time. You're right. Moses gives up a life of wealth and privilege and royalty to schlep around the desert with a bunch of complaining Jews for forty <laughs> years. He he puts up with everything. He obeys God every step. And one day he gets a little kerfuffled. He gets a little, you know, caught up in the moment that he gets angry and he messes up and that's it. He gets fired. Um, So uh, the the, the commentators are all over it. Uh, What exactly was his sin? And if you look at the verses, one of them says that he did not sanctify God in front of the people. Um, that his sin was so great because if Moses himself, the one that everyone looks to, if Moses doesn't set an example, then you know what what chance do the rest of us have? Uh, that's one possibility. Um, I, I have my own particular take on it. If you remember, forty years earlier, uh, they're in a similar situation. The Israelites are thirsty and they're complaining, which is what we do. And and God, what does God say? God tells Moses specifically to hit the rock and the, and the water will, will come forth. So he does that. So now we're 40 years later and God tells Moses, speak to the rock. And Moses, you know, he, he's a great leader. He's a great teacher, but he's been around for maybe a little bit too long. And he thinks back, well, I know how to get water out of rocks. We hit rocks. That's what we do. That's what we do to get water from rocks. And that's what he does. Um, whereas the time had changed. And at this point, speaking to the rock was more appropriate. And to me, it's not so much that God was mad at Moses. Um, God loved Moses. And if you remember, when Moses finally does die, he dies with a kiss of God. We should all be so lucky (laughs) that that that's the way we leave this world, with a kiss from God's mouth. Um, So I think it was more, at least for me, that Moses did his job, and he just wasn't the right leader for the next phase. The next phase Joshua was the right guy for the job. He was, and uh, what a what an amazing battle leader he was. And just in case you're wondering, my middle name's Joshua, so there's a little bit of that. But um, Christy's giving me a look. Okay, <laughs> Here, here's something uh, you said uh, early on. You said you talked about having a non-Jew at the Passover dinner, and it was good because it helped have a fresh look at the responsibilities of being free. And I think that is uh, such an important thing because we have, uh, the Jews were freed from bondage and uh, for Christians, we are free from sin. And if you look at the story of Exodus leading up to uh, the, the actual Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea, it's such an amazingly complete story, and almost everything from the entire Bible is in those 12 chapters. Um, For example, chapter 1, the more they were oppressed, the more the Jews multiplied and spread. And this speaks to God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 through 18, when he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And so, despite persecution, thousands of years of persecution today, but at this time, the persecution of the Egyptians, 
still the Jews multiplied. And so that tells us that God keeps his promises. And then in chapter 2, we see that each one of us is made for uh, a special time and circumstances, and God creates people and circumstances to accomplish his will, the way he created Moses and Pharaoh. And that reminds me of Esther 4.14, which Christy loves, uh, that we are Mm -hmm. made for such a time as this. And so as Christians find themselves in this time, Remember, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are the Lord's works. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we being called to do? And then we know that God will call us when he's ready. And we know that as we meet the world, uh, responding to that call, we will have misgivings just like Moses did. And then we must have faith. And then chapter 6 tells us that God can even use his enemies to accomplish his will when he hardens Pharaoh's heart and does that so that he can show himself to the world through the circumstances. So it's just such an amazing story to me, not to mention the fact that in chapter 12, we then have the blood of the lamb on the doors, which identifies God's people to the angel of death. And so, Rabbi, just such an important story, such an amazing story, the love of God. I mean, it, obviously, the, the Passover story makes up the core. I mean, it's the master story of the Jewish people. Uh, and it's, unfortunately, history repeats itself, and it's been played out <laughs> many, many, many times. Uh, and I think that's part of why we're commanded to recite it over and over and over again each year to remind ourselves of it. Uh, and I, I would imagine, if you look at it historically, uh, when the Seder started becoming probably developed in closer to the form that we have it right now, it probably began, I would imagine, during the first Babylonian, during the exile in Babylon, um, after the destruction of the first temple, uh, when we were, uh, well, essentially, as the psalmist says, by the rivers of Babylon, weeping uh, for the for the destruction of Zion and the destruction of our temple. And we were trying to make sense of it all and understand, you know, how could this happen and how could, how, how might this end up? And to be reminded of the Passover story over and over and over again, um, that had to have given our, our, our ancestors hope um, that redemption was at hand before we even knew it. And, and as, of course, it turned out, it was it's in, fairly, in fairly short order that we were returned to Zion and the exiles were gathered in, um, and we're still, you know, we're waiting for the ultimate redemption, um, at least in our theology. You know, uh, the best indicator of future performance is past behavior, and when we look at our God and his faithfulness and his love and his forgiveness, then we can know that that is the best indicator of our future. And then in that promise, the question is simply, in that love, God's unconditional love, what is our heart's response to that love? Because it must be something. It must be more than just an hour on Sunday or a lukewarm uh, Shabbat uh, Saturday morning. That love demands our greatest uh, commitment that we show our God to the world in the way we conduct ourselves and the words that we say and the reverence that we have for his commands. 
one of which is love the Lord thy God, and another of which is love thy neighbor. And so well, the, the, those two, that, that's essentially the prime directive, right, uh, of both of our faiths, um, that love, love, and, and, and the rabbis actually argue, like, okay, so which one is more? Which one is, is it, has prime? If you take those two, love your neighbor as yourself, or love Adonai your God, which one, which one takes primacy? And there's, there's a strong argument to be made that love your neighbor should take primacy. And like, wait a minute, that, that goes against what we, should, what we should be thinking. But no, if you think about it, if we are all created in the image and likeness of God, when I'm looking in your face, I should be seeing the face of God. And the way I treat you uh, is essentially the way I'm treating God. It's, it's really easy to be respectful to someone who's uh, in a position of authority over you. When you get pulled over by a, by a policeman, we're all, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, sir, no, sir, right? Because we don't want a ticket. Um, but how do we treat the person who's bagging my groceries? That says a lot more about how I'm walking the walk and how I'm living my life religiously, because you're right. Um, a, a Sunday afternoon or a Shabbat morning, um, that's not where religion happens. Right. I don't think religion happens in a church Absolutely. or a synagogue or a mosque. I think religion happens in, in, in how, we, how we walk in the world, and we go uh, to be with our community, we go to pray to essentially recharge our spiritual batteries, so Amen. that when we are walking in the world, we have the the power and the fortitude and the faith to do what's required of us, <clears throat> and not the bare minimum um, to to get ahead, not just get by. Amen, friends. You've heard it from Rabbi Matthew Marco that our love of God and love of our neighbor is in fact almost one and the same, and that people will know us by the way we love our neighbors, and that will be as though we are looking directly into the face of the Lord. And we're going to talk about that when we come back. Stay with us. Time is a bullet, okay. I get that we all have our day. Better are those that will leave us for now. Here's this week's So What Are We Reading? We believe that a part of what helps us in our walk as courageous Christians is reading. And so we're taking a moment during each show to share what we are reading and how it's helping us in the hope that it will help you. First and foremost, we are always reading the Bible, and we truly encourage you to always start there. And next, we hope you'll be reading with us Right Makes Might, 40 Days to Courageous Christianity. And yes, it's by the host of Courageous Christianity, Richard Mindelow. And now you can get your complimentary copy. Thank you to KKHT for featuring Richard's book on KKHT.com with a book giveaway. Want to read along with us? Get your complimentary book by going to KKHT.com. Look for and click the 40 Days to Courageous Christianity image on the homepage. Enter some easy info and KKHT will take care of the rest. The book is a 40-day devotional for those who seek to become Christian warriors. It's about heart, faith, courage, and truth. Richard brings his experience as a colonel in the Marines and as a Jew who believes in Christ to the readings. You'll hear Richard's courageous love of Jesus in every word. At the end of the 40 days, with God's help, you will have experienced a transformation. You will have learned how to speak about your faith more, how to pray more, and how with God's help to stand your ground more firmly, all while leading people to a decision about their eternal souls. You will be a Christian warrior and a guardian of the faith. So make sure to get your complimentary copy by going to kkht.com. Look for and click the 40 Days to Courageous Christianity image on the homepage. Enter your info and KKHT will get you your copy. 
We want to hear your thoughts about the devotional, so please let us know at our Facebook or Instagram pages by searching Courageous Christianity. And to learn more about our ministry efforts, go to CourageousChristianity.today. And as always, if you want to reach us, you can email us at CourageousChristianity at gmail.com. Our beloved A.W. Tozer says, the things you read will fashion you, slowly conditioning your mind. We pray that in this next week, you will be reading the things that will condition your mind as a courageous Christian warrior. Friends, you're listening to Courageous Christianity, and Christy and I are talking with Rabbi Matthew Marco, and this evening he will be celebrating Passover with his congregation, and we are talking about what an amazing uh, God we have uh, that we share, and we're also talking about the fact that uh, the Jews were in the desert for 40 years, and there was a lot of complaining, and at the break, the rabbi and I were talking about the fact that all pilots must be Jews because pilots complain a lot. And then the rabbi was saying that he knows another rabbi who is also a pilot, and he has a uh, some sort of list of complaining. What was that, rabbi? About uh, oh, my, my rabbi's list. Yeah, tell us about that. He, he just he has a list uh, of because uh, he's a private pilot uh, of uh, ten ways being a pilot is, is like being a rabbi. Do you have that list? I, I'm looking for it and I cannot find it. I just I remember a couple offhand. One was uh, something about it's it's ten percent patience and ninety percent panic, um, and one of them was it's never a good thing when people sit in the back. <laughs> I think that's yeah. funny. <laughs> so the rabbi and I were also talking about the fact that uh, at one point he was a carpenter, and uh, when my airline had a bankruptcy in the early two thousands, one of the ways I paid the bills was also being a carpenter. So uh, we are both Jews who are carpenters, and obviously the rabbi said not the first because Jesus was a Jew who was also a carpenter, and I'm sure we're not comparing ourselves to Jesus. Nonetheless, we are talking about Passover, and I read something interesting uh, recently. It said this, the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, have been... Uh, recently unearthed uh, some uh, previously not known copies or bits or pieces. And as they've reconstructed 11 lines from Zechariah, one of the prophets, and they were able to read these verses. And it said this, these are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to one another, render true and perfect justice in your gates, and do not contrive evil against one another, and do not love perjury, because all those are things that I hate, declares the Lord. Mm. And so as we went to the break, the rabbi was talking about in the question of love the Lord and love your neighbor, there are some schools of thought that say, as we love our neighbor, it shows our love for the Lord. And then when you stay away from the things that the Lord hates, all of which have to do with the way you treat your neighbor, that... uh makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of us fall down in that area. Rabbi? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I don't remember, did I say that before the break or not? Um, it was before the, the break. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to get caught up in our own, in our own little whirlwinds and, and forget that, 
you know, the people that we're talking to are human beings as well, um, and they have the same needs and they have the same wants and they have the same um, dignity, uh, and that and they deserve they deserve that. And how how we we treat other people is is indeed how we're treating God. Um, I, I I'm going to push a little bit more on that on that conversation because this conversation happens in the Talmud, and the Talmud is our a great book of our basically Jewish uh, interpretation of law and uh, and theology, and there's a bunch of rabbis sitting around saying, "Well, what is the most important commandment in all of the Torah?" And one says, "Love the Lord your God," and one says, "Love your neighbor as yourself," and another one says, "No, the most important is Ela Toladot Adam," and that's from Genesis. These are the generations of Adam, and then they said, "The other." So, why, why is that? How could you say that's more important? Because what it points out to is we all have the same father. We're all from the same stock. None of us. And the reason why that, we're, that when you, you read the creation story, every other animal, they're created according to their kinds and the myriads, but not humanity. We're created from Adam and Eve, so nobody can say, my father's greater than yours. We're all related. We're all part of the same family. And so by acknowledging that, we're acknowledging that we all ultimately have the same Father, and that Father is, is our God in heaven. And we, we were talking earlier about how us as human fathers looking at our children. Whenever I'm doing something like this right now where you know, we're, we're having a lovely ecumenical discussion, um, I think of myself as a father of two children, and the times where I looked and I saw them you know, fighting and arguing and scratching at one another, and it physically hurts. It, it, it's painful to see. Um, and then the times when you look and you see them playing together and cooperating and loving and, and the joy that you feel that. Now imagine you have 8 billion children, um, wow. <laughs> you know, if, if you could possibly imagine that. Um, and the way we treat each other um, affects how God feels. It has to, because God created us to be in relationship with us. And we do a disservice to God when we don't love each other. Uh, friends, I hope you're hearing what I'm hearing. And that is, uh, we know New Testament scripture says don't be quarrelsome. There's plenty in Proverbs about not being quarrelsome and not hanging out with quarrelsome people. And uh, when you look at, uh, we've spoken in the last couple of weeks about God's values. And that uh, Christy and I have said that if you love God, you will value what he values. And at the same uh, time, you can think about the things that the Lord does not like and, in fact, hates. And if the creator of the universe takes time to hate something, we should pay very close attention. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, you've heard me say it over and over. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. And by the way, the word unity is in the community. So when we talk about unity, we're not talking about some woke term, some politically correct nonsense. We're talking about the genuine unity as children of God. Who And by the way, we honor the Father when we treat each other with uh, kindness. And Rabbi, you put it so well when you, you put it in terms of being a father and seeing your children playing and being happy. And then at the same time, you see them quarreling. So it's understandable to me that there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And the seventh one 
is people who stir up conflict. Makes a lot of sense. I asked you at the beginning of the show, if you put yourself on Saturday and you're preparing for Passover, how that felt. And I'd like to know more about that. I'd like to ask you a little more about that. Sure. So you said that you feel the weight of the responsibility for your congregation as a leader, and all leaders feel the weight of that leadership. And when I fly an airliner, I feel the weight of the responsibility for those lives in the airplane, and you even have a greater responsibility for the souls that are in your congregation. So tell us uh, briefly, if you would, how that really feels to you. I think at the same at the same time, it's a tremendous honor um, that people trust me, that they will call me with questions, or they will reach out to me, or they will simply show up. Um, there's a tremendous honor, but yeah, there's there's definitely a, a feeling of of uh, well, and I'm not the way you said before. You're not comparing yourself to to Jesus, and God forbid that I would, and I don't compare myself to Moses. Um, but when when God calls Moses. Uh, and says, I got a job for you at the bush. What does Moses say? He says, Mi anochi. Uh, who am I? Right? And, and if Moses can, can wonder, am I good enough? And, and, you know, listen, all of the great prophets, Jeremiah also, you know, wait a minute, I'm just, I'm just a young picture here. Why, why, why me? Um, and, and I think, I, I hope I never lose that feeling, to tell you the truth, where I ask, I question myself, who, who am I to really tell anybody anything about how to live their lives or how to be um, on God's path? Um, and yet, I am someone that can. Um, but if you ever feel like you've gotten to the point where you, you know you have all the answers, well, I, I think it's probably time to hang up your your, well, your hat because you're really no good to anybody any longer. You need that, that humility to, to understand that. Yeah, you know, I'm, just, uh, I'm taking my best shot too. Uh, and God bless you for that. We have talked about the fact that uh, spiritual warfare is very real, and one of the most common things the Satan can do is he comes against our belief that we can be part of the solution, that we have a voice, that we can contribute. And sometimes people feel that they don't know enough about Scripture. And they don't know the exact right thing to say. And what we've said on the show is that at the intersection of your faith and the secular world, if you approach that place of conflict at times with love and with compassion and the humility that says, I may not know the right scripture and I may not know this exact right thing, but I know I can be kind here. I can offer a word of encouragement and I can tell you about my relationship with God. And when we come back from the break... Friends, we're going to talk a little bit more about that with Rabbi Matthew Marco. Stay with us. What a friend we have in Jesus. Friends, it's Richard, the host of Courageous Christianity. In addition to donations, sponsorships also help to keep us on the air and sustain our ongoing efforts. We'd love for you to join us in this mission. If you own a Christian business or an entrepreneur, or it's on your heart to support our efforts, sponsorship opportunities are available. You'll have the chance to have your message heard during each show and much more. If you want to join us in our mission to equip Christian warriors for the spiritual battlefield and support us with your sponsorship, 
Contact us at 281-656-1833 or email us at CourageousChristianity at gmail.com. Contact us today to apply as there are some requirements. So give us a call at 281-656-1833 or email us at CourageousChristianity at gmail.com. We're grateful for your listenership and for your support. Friends, welcome back. I'm Richard Mendelo, and we are talking with Rabbi Matthew Marco of Congregation Beth Israel, and we're talking about the Passover, the very important observance, the festival to the Lord, which commemorates the Jewish exodus from Egypt and bondage. And I've often thought that that uh, is, a, is a foreshadowing or a metaphor or one of those important words for the entire Bible, where basically we are free from bondage, and Rabbi said in the first segment that there is great responsibility in that freedom, and that's so true. So we're freed from bondage. And then we wander in this wilderness, uh, which is our life, and it's this world, and there's the good that we can do, and the opportunity we have, and the hope of the promised land. And so to me, Exodus is a metaphor for the entire uh, experience we have on this planet. And the rabbi has said that the way we treat each other honors and glorifies our God. And Christy, what do you think? You know, I had the opportunity to take a uh, class years ago on the first five books of the Bible. And reading and studying Exodus was just uh, life-changing for me. And so I would just share with the listeners, if they've not ever read Exodus, or if it's been a while, this is the perfect time to go read that. It really is, um, I, I can't find any other word than amazing. Yeah, you know, you've actually uh, hit upon something uh, so brilliant. And I have said that as uh, the sun sets this evening and as Jewish families sit down to their Passover meal, as Christians, we should be praying for them and honoring them uh, as we share the same father. And Christy makes uh, a great point where she says, not only that, but let's read Exodus in in this time that we have and let's understand uh, and read it with a heart for God and a heart for our Jewish neighbors so that we really uh, know their experience. And uh, Rabbi, you were telling us something about seminary at the break, and uh, I asked you to save it for the show. Would you tell us that, please? Right, well, this is this, it, because you, you asked me to, uh, uh, to to sort of end with some words of wisdom, and, and there was me thinking, well, please, God, please put some wisdom on my tongue, because <laughs> I'm not quite sure I have any of my own. Um, and it reminded me, when, when I first started seminary, which was a five-year, full-year, full-time program, uh, and I started as an adult. I, I entered seminary at the age of 45. Uh, that's when I felt called. And uh, I started having a very strange dream. And it's going to sound like I'm exaggerating, but this, it's very vivid. And I occasionally still have it. Uh, I find myself in, in a sort of a nondescript synagogue. It looks like a synagogue, but not one that I particularly know. Uh, and I'm standing on, on the pulpit, behind the podium. And it's a very narrow, thin pulpit. And I'm completely top to bottom naked, not wearing a stitch of clothing except for a really small bar mitzvah talit, like a little 
prayer shawls, but the bar mitzvah ones are generally pretty small. And here I am, and I'm looking out at these people, and I don't know a word of the prayers, and I, don't, and I haven't prepared for the reading. And, and it's, it's a very terrifying dream. And, and I had it for a long time, and I went to my rabbi, and I told him about it. And he said, oh, yeah, that's an imposter dream. Don't worry about it. I said, don't worry about it. They'll go away. He said, no, I've been a rabbi for 40 years, and I still get dreams like that. Uh, <laughs> he said, if you stop getting dreams like that, then you should start worrying, because it means you think you got it. And, and let's face it, uh, in this life, we get flashes of truth. Uh, we get moments of clarity and connection, um, but we also get an awful lot of paradox, and we get a lot of doubt. Um, and I think, at least I hope, in the world to come, these questions will be answered, and we will be privy to it. But at this point, we're really, as you mentioned, sort of in the wilderness, and we're, and we're struggling, and we're, we're making our way through. And God placed some, some, serious, some pretty serious road markers along the way, and he and gave us... Uh, a map to, to to make our way through, but it still it takes work on our part. We've got to we've got to engage in it, um, and sometimes it feels like more than we can bear. And we have to remember that we, we've got we've got someone in our corner that will get us there. You know, uh, uh, I think that's beautiful, and it brings this vision to my mind. Uh, I've actually mentioned it on the air before. Somebody once said to me, in regard to our time on this earth and our faith, we're we're all just trying to walk each other home. And uh, I was a small kid because when I moved from South Africa to the U.S., I actually like skipped uh, most of fourth grade. And so I was younger than everybody and smaller than everybody. And bullies were a big deal. And that may have been why I went into the Marines, because I don't like bullies. But I do have a picture of this yellow school bus pulling up in the neighborhood and getting off the bus and me being with the other little kids. And... We're just trying to walk each other home and not get picked on by the bullies. And Satan is a bully and he wants you to doubt yourself and he wants you to doubt your place on this uh, planet. And what the rabbi is saying that uh, what I'm taking from what he's saying is, hey, nobody's got all the answers and we're all just trying to walk each other home and we're trying to do right things. And if you picture yourself in that wilderness where you don't totally know anything, there is one thing you do know, and that is we can turn to each other. And we can support each other and we can help each other. And by the way, encouraging one another is the greatest uh, way to glorify our God and honor our God, the Father of us all. So, Rabbi, as uh, we close the show, any final thoughts? Something just popped into my head that you, um, from what you were saying. Uh, we get through Passover, and if you look at the, the, the Exodus story and the book of Exodus itself, um, Slaves, by definition, our time is not our own, and we our choice is not our own. Our choices are, are, are made by our taskmasters. So when God freed us, what was really the next stop immediately was Mount Sinai. The purpose of being free is now, as free people, we can choose to be in relationship with God, and we can choose to take God's commandments on as our own. And, and that's part of that of being free. What is the purpose? It's not simply to be free. It's, it's so now that we can choose the right path and we can choose to walk in a certain way. Um, but like you said, not, not having the, the answers, there's, I was reminded of a, of a verse from the Great Hallel, which is, um, I think it's Psalm 150. Please forgive me. And I'm going to, it's, Hamolichet Amo Bamidbar Kiliyalam Chasto, 
um, who Molich, uh, who 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 roads, who basically who leads his people through the wilderness, because God's loving kindness, his chesed, is eternal, everlasting. Um, and Hebrew is a, a funny language, especially uh, biblical Hebrew. It's not, it's not tensed. There's not a future and a past tense the way we think of. It's more of an aspected language. It's either completed action or ongoing action. And when it says molich, um, this leading, this is not something, it's not past tense. It's not something that God did and was over. Wow. <clears throat> and so uh, the work is uh, ongoing. imperfect action. The work so is on- ongoing. Uh, ongoing, the opportunity that we have never ends. And you know my favorite scripture, the scripture that I think uh, speaks to my life, is from whom much is given, much is demanded, and from whom much is entrusted, even more will be asked. And that is the truth, folks, and that brings us to the moment of truth. As you know, in every show we have a moment of truth where we look at scripture, which informs our discussion, and we do this to remind ourselves that God's word is our first refuge, that it's always relevant, and that it never fails. And our moment of truth today comes from Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, and it is this, this is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So as we've talked about on the show, we all have stories that we tell ourselves, and we have said that we each have stories, and only when we approach each other with respect and the genuine curiosity of our love and honoring our Father can we truly find unity. And Christy exemplifies that, which is why I call her Curious Inquisitive Christy. (laughs) Friends, I hope today you've heard the story of Passover from the Jewish perspective in a way that will help to build unity in God's truth and in that unity that he will be glorified. And that brings us to our quote of the day. There is a famous story in which... Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany asks Otto von Bismarck, can you prove the existence of God? To which Bismarck replies, the Jews, your majesty, the Jews. Friends, you cannot allow a neighbor to be diminished without you yourself being diminished. John John Don said famously, any man's death diminishes me for I'm involved in mankind. This is equally and especially true of the Jews as we are adopted into the cherished family of God by our faith. So over the last few weeks, we've talked about God's values. We've said that if we love God, we must value what he values, and the Jews are God's chosen people. So if we love God, we must value them and stand with them and the nation of Israel. And that is Courageous Christianity. I want to thank our guest, Rabbi Matthew Marco. Rabbi, thank you, and please know that we will be praying for you over this Passover. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Christy. It's great being with you. Thank you. Friends, thanks for joining Christy and me today. We hope you'll join us each and every week here on 100.7 KKHT, the word at kkht.com, or on courageouschristianity.today, where you can listen to previous episodes by podcast. We are honored to walk with you in Christ. God bless and Semper Fi. (laughs) 